Pastor Ray Bentley points out why there's never been a more important time for humility. We're living in the days when God is going to humble the exalted of the world. We're living in a prophetic hour where the heaviness of God's presence humbles those who are proud. But it lifts up, ironically, those who humble themselves before the Lord. And we're living in exactly those days. Welcome to Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. They say knowledge is power. Well, here in this information age, knowledge has never been easier to come by, and the confidence and arrogance that goes with it isn't exactly in short supply. Today, Pastor Ray shows us how those who approach God must do so in true humility, recognizing our standing before the Almighty. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Here in Luke chapter 18, it says in verse 9, Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. He said, Now two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, would beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Here's Jesus. He's just talked about the end times. He's talked about his coming kingdom. He tells a parable about prayer. He gets done telling the parable about the importance of persistent prayer, and now he gives another story about two who were praying in the temple. It was probably real people that he had observed. One was a religious man, a Pharisee, was very prideful, and Jesus said, does not get his prayer heard or answered by God. The other is a tax collector, a publican, a sinner. Jesus said this man was able to walk away. God heard his prayer and answered it. So I want you to notice and observe three attributes of false prayer. These are prayers that are, are absolutely not going to receive an answer. These are prayers that God doesn't want, like, or listen to, or respond to. Verses 11 and 12. Let's look at verses 11 and 12 again. The Pharisee, Jesus said, stood and prayed thus with himself. Oh, that says a lot. He was praying with himself. That's about as far as his prayers went. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. All right, the first thing that you notice about the prayer that God doesn't like or listen to is it is I focused. In these two verses, verses 11 and 12, he uses the personal pronoun I five times. I do this and I do that and I do this and I do that and I am this. 
is totally focused on I. His idea of prayer was, Lord, it's all about me, instead of truly approaching God. Jesus even says that he stood there and prayed thus with himself. In other words, Jesus was basically saying he was having a conversation with himself. He wasn't even really talking to God. So the first thing about false prayer is it's all about me. No, it's not all about you. It's about the Lord. Number two, his real audience was not God, but men. He prayed loud enough so that all those who were there in the temple court could hear him. And of course, why would he want them to hear him? Because he's telling God what a great guy he is. Beware of those who talk a spiritual lingo, but their desire is only to draw attention to themselves. Prayer is about drawing our attention to God. Amen? It's about seeking him. The third thing that this guy did wrong, and this was the worst thing of all, because we have probably all fallen into the I-isms and the me-isms, and, and if you're a sincere and honest, God can humble you and you can repent. But this one is worse than them all. Comparing ourselves with others. This shows that he wanted to feel good about himself. Well, everybody on a human level, we wanna feel good about ourselves. Why do we wanna feel good about ourselves? Because we feel bad about ourselves. And why do we feel bad about ourselves? Because we're sinners. And the reason we struggle with guilt is because we're guilty and we need really to confess our sins. But he went about it the wrong way. This is the classic problem with religion, which is not Christianity. Religion becomes about comparing our little group with everybody else and pointing out those that we are better than them. We do this and we do that. And, and you can always find somebody by comparison that is worse off or doing worse or uh, further down the road than you are. The Bible says that we are not to compare ourselves one to another. In a relationship with God and in prayer, there's only one person that I or you are to compare ourselves to, and that's Jesus Christ. If, we compare, if I compare myself to Jesus Christ, do I want to boast about anything? No. I have nothing to boast about. I have nothing even to say, except God have mercy upon me, I am a sinner. Today, uh, you know, to take the, the Pharisees, uh, you know, words in here, New King James Version 2000 years ago, let's update them. Here's what a modern religious figure might pray something like this. God, how I thank you that I have not fallen into what so many of my generation have succumbed to, sensuality, dishonest business practices, the gutter life of so many who don't go to church, the riffraff of this world. Thank God I'm not like all of them. Ooh, ooh. Comparing yourself. Whoa, I didn't do what he did. I didn't do what she did. Ooh, watch out. Watch out. The truth of the matter is that this man who was, and apparently there was some poor guy who's probably, we're going to talk about him in just a moment. He, he's confessing, he's weeping, he can't even lift his head. The, the, the Pharisee's got his hands out, his eyes are open. In his eyes, the light of heaven is shining down upon him. Thank God, I don't do all that stuff. And look at that guy, he's obviously a sinner. Groveling down there, weeping, his nose running, humiliating. Father, thank you that I'm not like him. Comparing himself, that was 
horrible. That was something that was grievous. But at the same time, this Pharisee who is so happy with himself and his own righteousness, because he's comparing himself to that guy down there, shows in his prayer, where we know that this guy is, is humbled, he is humiliated, he knows he's blown it, he knows he's a sinner, he is weeping, he's pounding his chest, he's beating his breast saying, God have mercy upon me, I have blown it, I have lost, I have sinned. The Pharisee shows no compassion. Where was it that if he really is a man of God that he says, oh Father, while I'm boasting myself, forgive me because I see my brother over here humbling himself before you and he is brokenhearted. Father, my heart cries out for this dear brother. There was no compassion. There was no warmth. There was merely a finger. And by the way, he's standing up and the other one is bowed down. So the only way that he points at all to his brother is to point down with an accusing finger. How many of you do not like it when someone points a finger at you and accuses you? How many find that extremely uncomfortable? That's what religion is to the world. Somebody up here pointing an accusatory finger down there and condemning them because by comparison, you are far worse off than I am. That is religion and that is nauseating to God. It's something to be repudiated by the world. And there's no acknowledgement of God's grace in this man's life, this Pharisee, or his need for grace in the future. No acknowledgement that if he's done anything good, I mean, it's not that what he did was wrong, but to acknowledge that by the grace of God, I am what I am. How unlike the Apostle Paul who said in Romans 7:18, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. How many of you can honestly say that you have discovered that in you, that is in me and in my flesh, dwells no good thing? You know what? That's what life is all about, to teach you that very thing. Now, let's look at the prayer of the righteous, verses 13 and 14. And by the way, the prayer of the righteous is the prayer of the big sinner. It says that the tax collector is standing afar off. So he didn't even come near to the temple. He's standing way off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. So his head's bowed down and beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Pastor Ray Bentley will have more of today's study in just a moment. At Maranatha Radio, we've received so many cards, emails, and social media messages expressing appreciation for Pastor Ray's teaching. Pastor Ray was a true teacher of God's Word. I had found my church home with him. I just wish I'd gotten to know him before he passed. However, he taught me to love the Bible, which I am thankful for. I know that Pastor Ray is in the most glorious of places now. Pastor Ray's messages continue here on the radio thanks to the support from listeners like you. If you'd like to partner with Ray Bentley Ministries and Maranatha Radio, just go to our website at raybentley.com. And now more of today's message from Pastor Ray Bentley. Several things that we note about this man's prayer. Number one, his humility, standing afar off. He stood at a distance. Now, we know in the New Testament, it tells us we can enter in before the throne of God with boldness. 
But that doesn't mean that we, with boldly, we go in and brag about how righteous we are. But through Jesus Christ, we have been brought to the very throne of God and, and our righteousness is not our own. It's a gift from Jesus Christ. So when you enter before the presence of God, humble yourself, bow your head and, and say, Lord, thank you, have mercy upon me. The second thing that he did is he confessed his sins. The Pharisee used his prayer to proclaim all of his virtues and all of his good things. This man used his prayer to confess his sins. I think that in, in a way, what the Lord desires each of us to say is that from my view, I am the worst sinner on planet Earth. God wants all of us to have that same reality about ourselves. When this man said, have mercy upon me, O God, you know what's interesting about that? That is the very first line of Psalm 51. That is the prayer of repentance David prayed after he had committed adultery and after he had murdered, essentially, Uriah. And David repents and then sings about the forgiveness that he finally experienced. You know what then is amazing about this? The Pharisee who spent his life studying the scriptures when he prayed never quoted scripture. All he talked about was himself. The publican, tax-collecting, pagan sinner who admitted it is the only one who actually quoted the word of God. Who knows when he had read it, studied it, or it had been planted into his heart, but he brought God's word back to him in prayer. And by the way, any scripture that you have, bring those words and promises before God. So he confessed his sins. And finally, he was declared righteous. Jesus says in verse 14, he says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. And by the way, the word justified means declared righteous because of what Jesus has done for us. The Pharisee went away from his prayer and the Pharisee walked away feeling good, with confidence, feeling great about himself. But Jesus said he actually left the temple of God unaccepted unjustified and still under God's wrath and judgment. Ephesians 2 verses 2 and 3 says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others are. God's anger against sin because of the destructive nature of sin to ourselves as well as others. But this publican who had lied and stolen and cheated and made money off of other people and been a traitor to his people as a tax collector and gathering it for Rome was a pariah among the Jewish community, truly repented, and he threw himself upon the mercy of God. He left the temple Justified, which means that in heaven, God declared him righteous. And this is the beautiful truth of the New Testament. When you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you and I are declared, that means proclaim righteous by name through our faith in Jesus Christ, not by our good deeds, not by our abilities. Romans chapter three, verses 21 through 24 I put that in your notes. Let's read that scripture from your notes. Let's read it out loud together. 
But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Oh man, we're, we're declared righteous by Jesus Christ and what he has done. Glory, hallelujah. Now, does that make you feel good? Huh? That Jesus declares you righteous because you're washed and covered in his blood. So then Jesus makes this comment at the end of verse 14. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, declared righteous, rather than the other. And then he adds this caveat. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. As a brother and sister in Christ, our goal and mission in life is to humble ourselves before the Lord. Make it your goal in business. Make it your goal in the good works that you do. And not only the good works you do, but how you do them. And how you share your faith and, and everything you do to humble yourself that you are out of the way and that God receives all of the attention, all of the glory and all of the praise. Hallelujah. He is worthy. Man, we, we should all just be singing at the top of our lungs about Jesus Christ, his goodness and his grace and what he has done for us. The, the Gospel of Luke, we're in the Gospel of Luke, and uh, chapter 1, verses 51 and 52 started with that whole concept. Uh, when the prophecy came about Jesus, it says, He has shown strength with his army, has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. You know what? We're living in the days when God is going to humble the exalted of the world. They've had things and they've been in charge for a very long time. But as when Jesus came the first time, it was the humbling of the proud and the lifting up of those who are humble. We are living in, in a very, in a kairos hour, in a prophetic hour where the glory of God, and by the way, the glory of God is uh, very difficult to, to translate into English, but one of the words for the glory of God is, is the weight or, or heaviness. The heaviness of God's presence humbles those who are proud, but it lifts up, ironically, those who humble themselves before the Lord. And we're living in exactly those days. Let's close with verses 15 through 17. Here Jesus gives uh, an interesting little story about children right after talking about prayer. It says in verse 15, then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. It was the custom of mothers in those days to bring their children uh, to special rabbis that they loved and listened to and to have them blessed. So here is all these moms who have their little children and Jesus is unlike any other rabbi they've ever seen or heard. <laughs> Amen. How many would have ran to the rabbi Jesus? Dear him, who knows what he's going to do next? Miracles, stories, parables, literally heaven flowing through his fingertips and from his mouth. 
And then, so that all these moms are bringing their children, please, Rabbi Jesus, bless, bless my child. And so the disciples step in and they say, stop, stop. And they're trying to corral all these moms with their little babies. And uh, now, sometimes we immediately jump on them and some of the commentaries do. Look at these, you know, callous, uh, hard-hearted, selfish, or whatever. They were obviously wrong to try to keep these children from Jesus. But I want you to think from another perspective. Um, They were trying to protect Jesus in a way. He's been telling them, and he's just about ready to tell them again, guys, we're going to Jerusalem. This is the last time I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be rejected. All this that the scriptures and prophets talked about is going to happen this time when we get to Jerusalem. And I have a feeling that no doubt the disciples could see even on Jesus' face the inner tension that was beginning to build on his way to Jerusalem. So they, on a human level at least, wanted to try and protect him. I think it is interesting that while we sometimes rebuke them, how could you keep little children from Jesus? Well, we weren't there. We don't know all the context of what was going on. And Jesus didn't turn around at that time. But here's what he did say. You know how sometimes you would come home and dad's really tired and you say, don't, don't bother dad right now. He's really tired and he's, he's really weary tonight. Just leave him alone. But in the midst of that, here's one of the most beautiful insights of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus had time for little children and would let nothing keep little children from him even though he was getting ready to go be tortured, beaten, and crucified and go to the cross. Even with all that weight upon him and all of that maybe that could be seen or felt by those closest to him as the disciples were, even with that he said, no, let let the little children come to me. I want them around me. I want to touch them. I want to bless them. I want to love them. And then he adds this, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Must have been difficult for Jesus to walk through this earth For he is the ancient of days. It wasn't like he was only 33 years old, but he was the ancient of days. He had no beginning. He knew what the earth and what the kingdom of of heaven and earth was like before sin entered. So for all of the evil and the Roman Empire and the debauchery that was there, the closest thing on earth that reminded him of the heaven and paradise that he had left was little children. They remind me of what I left and why I came and what I'm here to restore. Of such is the kingdom of heaven. So let us have that same heart and attitude for the little eyes that are looking up to us. No matter how beat, how weary, how tired, how exhausted, how burdened you may be. If a child, someone younger than you, a little boy, a little girl comes up to you, always the Spirit of Jesus says, have time for them. Bend down to them. Look at them. Listen to them. Draw them near. Encourage them bless them, comfort them, pray for them. Amen. Pastor Ray Bentley with important encouragement today about humility and how children held a special place in the heart of Jesus. Good insight today here on Maranatha Radio. Today's study is titled The Beauty of Humility. If you missed any part of the message, you can hear a replay on iTunes or at raybentley.com. That's raybentley.com. When you get to the homepage, you can leave a tribute to Pastor Ray's life and service to the Lord. 
Also, click the word media and you'll see the words watch, radio, and Devo. Three engaging ways you can enjoy Pastor Ray's insights via video, audio recording, or daily devotions. In fact, at the very bottom of the page, you can link to Pastor Ray's Facebook page, his podcast, his YouTube channel, and Twitter feed. And then after 30 years on the radio and the passing of Pastor Ray Bentley in early 2022, we're approaching the end of the Maranatha radio program. We'd like to thank you, our dedicated listeners, who've joined us through the years as we've journeyed with Pastor Ray through the Bible. We'll be continuing the broadcast through the remainder of 2023, but we're excited to share that we'll have a dedicated online location to access all of Pastor Ray's content, including video, audio sermons, books, and more. Please visit raybentley.com to follow along with us. But we hope you'll stay with us here on the radio through the end of the year. Next time, join Pastor Ray for more from our studies in the book of Luke. More from God's Word next time on Maranatha Radio. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley is an outreach of Maranatha Chapel, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127.